I'm Michael McMullen. And I'm John Mark Yates. Welcome to This Week in Church History. Welcome to This Week in Church History, March 22nd to 28th. This week in 1775, on March 22nd, the great revolutionary war hero, Patrick Henry, belted out his now famous cry, give me liberty or give me death. That brings us to our author this week, Dr. Thomas Kidd. Dr. Kidd is the Distinguished Professor of History, the James Vardaman Endowed Professor of History and Associate Director of the Institute for the Studies of Religion at Baylor University. He also serves as my colleague at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he serves as Distinguished Visiting Professor of Church History. He's the author of multiple volumes like America's History or America's Religious History, Faith, Politics, and the Shaping of a Nation, and George Whitfield, America's Spiritual Founding Father, and uh, even more recently, Who is an Evangelical? The History of a Movement in Crisis. Dr. Kidd became interested in Patrick Henry and released a book entitled Patrick Henry, First Among Patriots. Welcome to This Week in Church History, Dr. Kidd. Thanks for having me. So tell us about your book on Patrick Henry. What inspired you to write on him? Well, I'm interested in the revolutionary period generally, um, but there's so much debate about the the faiths of the founding fathers. And as I was thinking through uh, possible topics, the reason Henry jumped out at me was because you you have in Patrick Henry clearly a traditional Christian, uh, an Anglican Christian, and uh, someone who was probably increasingly devout over the course of his life. And I, I just found it interesting to to look at uh, a founding father who there really wasn't much debate about the nature of his faith, the way, the way there is about somebody like Franklin or Jefferson, mm-hmm. uh, and the way that the revolution played out for him. And of course, you know, there, there were uh, serious Christians who were opposed to the revolution, uh, that you can't you know, biblically revolt against the the established government and so forth. And so I, I was interested in just investigating what difference, if any, uh, Henry's faith made about his role in the revolution. And it certainly uh, made a difference in instances like the liberty or death speech. So in this, what to me, it's always been, um, he, in some respects, he becomes the the champion, the voice for uh, freedom, or at least in you know the the history that's that was taught at least when I was a child of uh, of kind of history of the American Revolution. Uh, what made Patrick such a uh, such a figure that we tie in our American conscience to the question of freedom? Well, I think that he was uh, just a, a naturally uh, gifted speaker, uh, probably the most gifted orator among the founding fathers, um, and. Uh, some of that is just natural talent, and then some of it is his um, background in the Great Awakening. He, as a as a teenager, would go to the revivals of the Great Awakening mm-hmm. uh, with his mother, and, um, and in particular sat under the teaching of Samuel Davies in Virginia, the Presbyterian pastor and revivalist. And and he said that that uh, Davies was the greatest. Um, oratory he'd ever heard speak, which is a pretty high compliment coming wow. from Patrick Henry. Um, but he was also just a, a product of his time that he um, was very concerned about the British threat to American liberty. And so he spoke passionately about that. So with him as a religious leader and a political leader, 
How did he understand the role of church and state? How did he try to keep this separate or did he even? Well, Henry is is a kind of a hybrid figure because he um, believes in a continuing role for state support for religion. Of course, the, the Church of England had always been the established church in Virginia. And he and Jefferson really parted ways over whether uh, the, the state should continue to have support for religion. Now, Henry realized that the Church of England couldn't continue as an exclusive established church. Um, so he had the idea that what, what you would have is a, is a, a general assessment for religion is what he called it. And, and the idea there is that you would have required uh, religious taxes you had to pay but that you could designate which church was going to receive your tax money. And so <laughs> if you were, you know, Quaker or Baptist or Presbyterian, whatever, you could, um, you know, give your money to the church that you attended, uh, which, you know, from my perspective is is an improvement on, on uh, a single established denomination. But for most Baptists at the time, <laughs> uh, they didn't find uh, Patrick Henry's solution to be uh, satisfactory at all, and they want they wanted full religious liberty. Hi, Tommy. It's uh, Michael McMullen here. Um, hi there. I, hi. I have a couple of questions um, about Patrick Henry. I mean, the first thing is, I would just like to say, you know, for the interests of uh, full disclosure, that um, as somebody who attended King's College at the University of Aberdeen, I've since discovered that's the the very same college that uh, Henry's father, John, went to. You're always uh, bragging right. about Aberdeen. Always well, bragging about Aberdeen. But you see how great it was <laughs> that uh, <laughs> it, it, it encourages people to, to think with liberty and freedom. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I read an article that uh, you'd written uh, in 2012, published then, uh, about how people uh, misquoted uh, the founding fathers and uh, right. you use Patrick Henry as a, an example. And I just wondered, in your view, um, has that got worse or has it got better since you wrote? Um, I, I think it's probably stayed about the same. I mean, I, I, I think that the problem is that, well, uh, a lot of, of popular history writers have, have had this problem of misquoting or trafficking and bogus quotes, especially from the founding fathers for a long time. Um, Though you also see it with people like George Whitfield. Pretty much any famous person is probably going to have some uh, bogus quotes attached to them. But um, uh, it's it's pretty bad with Patrick Henry. um, And there, there are definitely quotes out there uh, especially along the lines of Henry saying that America was founded as a Christian nation. Mm. And then when you look into it, you know, there, you can't find a reference to this earlier than say the 1950s right. um, or even more recent. I mean, and, and I, it's hard to know sometimes uh, whether this is just a simple mistake or whether there are popularizers who are just flat out making things up. Yes. But um, I always encourage people uh, to do a, a little checking online before mm-hmm. you re- retweet something because it's so common that yes. there are these bogus quotes. Nothing like bogus quotes, and uh, it seems to find its way in so many different things. Uh, oh, yes. The, the fake news of history, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. Patrick Henry was definitely a staunch advocate for uh, the right to bear arms. Uh, 
what was different in his context at that time period that would be different from our current conversations about uh, guns and uh, the right to bear arms? Well, I, I mean, and that of course that's a hugely controversial issue uh, right. about about gun ownership and the and the founding fathers. And in fact, uh, there was a a book that came out, uh, well, I guess probably twenty years ago, called "Arming America," that that made the case that the, that there were there was very little individual gun ownership in America uh, at the time of the founding. Uh, but but that that book, which won major his, history prizes turned out to be based on falsified evidence. Um, and and this, this historian, Michael Belial, lost his position at Emory University after uh, the scandal broke. So um, that, that's continued to be just a huge uh, contested issue. Clearly, Henry is uh, 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 the, from the sort of family where uh, individual family gun ownership would would have been uh, a natural part of life and hunting and and things like this, uh, and and it fit I think into Henry's uh, broader sense that um, what what ended up being the Second Amendment um, w- was uh, uh, the the right to bear arms was an essential part of the the pantheon of rights that you want to assure the people. Um, uh, against government power, and th- this is one of the reasons why uh, Henry ended up being an anti-federalist, uh, mm-hmm. an opponent of the Constitution, was because he thought that the new national government that Madison and Hamilton were proposing um, w- would just give the government too much power uh, versus the people's uh, liberties. And so uh, Henry not only wanted a Bill of Rights, which the original Constitution didn't have. Uh, but he actually wanted, um, you know, deep structural reductions in the government's power. For instance, he didn't want it to have the power to tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, if you can imagine our national government without the power to tax, so <laughs> quite something. Uh, but uh, anyway, and and the right to bear arms was a part of a part of that, but but just one of many rights that he was concerned about. Uh, clearly, um, Henry's achievements were incredible. He's the governor of Virginia. He's uh, temporarily um, the head of Virginia's military. He's a member of the Continental Congress. He's um, helped write Virginia's constitution. He has 17 children. Um, and yet, as somebody who's interested in uh, slavery and abolition, I-, I was kind of sad to read that even though he said slavery was an abominable practice destructive to liberty, if indeed he did say that, um, yet he owned more than 60 slaves on his plantation. Um, w- what would be you know, something that we could say about such a thing? Well, uh, unfortunately, this is a, a, a problem, a hypocrisy with uh, most of the founding fathers, including especially Southern founding mm-hmm, fathers, mm-hmm. Uh, although even Ben Franklin owned slaves until late in his life. Um, so it wasn't just a Southern problem. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Henry, I think, was typical of a lot of the Virginia founders in particular that um that they would concede in the 1770s and 80s that slavery was morally wrong, 
Uh, but then they would often go on, as Henry did, to make excuses for why they couldn't really do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, and that's the way Jefferson was. Uh, George Mason was was like that. Uh, George Washington was a little uh, more successful morally on this score because mm-hmm. uh, he knew that slavery was wrong, and he went on to uh, free his slaves in his will after his wife's death. So neither he nor his wife had to deal with the implications of abolition, but at least Washington did uh, something substantial about it. Um, And, and the only thing you can say about that is, is that uh, later on in, in Virginia and the rest of the South by say the 1820s, you were much hard. It was much harder to find white people that would admit that slavery Mm. was wrong. Yeah. Um, and so there, there, uh, it's sort of a time window in the history of Southern slavery when, uh, because of Christian conviction and, mm-hmm. and, you know, so-called enlightenment principles that are coming in, uh, there, there is a, you know, pretty open conviction that slavery is wrong, that as soon as it's possible to abolish slavery, that, uh, Americans should do that. But, uh, Henry uh, and and Jefferson, you know, really didn't get around to doing very much personally or legislatively about freeing the slaves. That always creates such a, a complicated picture for us as we wrestle with um, the faults of our forebears. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. We often talk about the positives and, and, and miss that. I want to ask a, a, a what if uh, question. Oftentimes when we function as historians, we, we think in terms of what was, but Sometimes it can be fun to think a little bit about what if. Uh, what if, from your perspective, what if Henry hadn't been a part of Virginia's story? What would be different? Well, I think that Virginia would not have been on the front lines of the revolutionary patriot cause as much. And the, the reason why I call Henry first among patriots is, is not so much that he was the most important founding father. I'm not, I'm not saying that. He was important, but not not necessarily the the most important for sure. And and uh, but he did seem seem to always be kind of first in line in in Virginia to to raise the alarm. Um, he did that with with the Stamp Act. In fact, he was probably the most aggressive uh, critic of the Stamp Act in 1765 in America, um, and uh, had had only recently joined Virginia's legislature. And yet, as a freshman member, he. He was the one who raised the cry against the Stamp Act and, and penned uh, the resolutions against the Stamp Act that not only were critical in Virginia, but but were circulated uh, nationally, actually, with, with some bogus uh, resolutions tacked on at the end uh, that Henry actually didn't write, but were publicized, <laughs> you know, so there's fake news everywhere. But uh, um, anyway, uh, and, and that's the same thing he's doing with Liberty or Death. There's a lot of reluctance in 1775 about taking up uh, defensive, defensive measures and preparing for war against the British Empire. Um, and Henry in, in uh, March 1775 is saying, no, we, we have to, this is inevitable, that we, we have to accept uh, that war is coming, um, and and he he said you know the next breeze from the north is going to bring news of of war in Massachusetts, and he was pretty much right about that. Uh, right. Within a month of the speech, uh, that uh, the war had started in Massachusetts, and so um, he was always pushing uh, Virginians to be more aggressive in the Patriot cause. Mm. 
Uh, and so in the end, uh, if Massachusetts and Virginia were the most radical of the, the uh, patriot bastions, um, if, if Henry hadn't been there, I, I don't know that Virginia necessarily would have been uh, in the, the top two of the most uh, uh, aggressive states uh, in the patriot cause. Uh, that's that's fascinating. The, the especially the mark that he's he's leaving, uh, orator, uh, leader, um, shaper, uh, just bringing all these things together. Uh, as historians, anytime we're writing a, a history or an account, we can't put everything in uh, what we're writing. Uh, what is something that uh, you discovered about Patrick that you didn't quite get to put into uh, the volume that some of our listeners might enjoy? Well, uh, you know, there's there is a, an enormous amount there uh, to leave out because Henry. Uh, one of the problems with his uh, d- doing a biography of him is that he left so few papers, right? Uh, and and uh, compared to somebody like Jefferson, uh, and Jefferson absolutely hated Patrick Henry uh, for a variety <laughs> of reasons, so, but they, they were political enemies. But J- Jefferson had a deep personal distaste mm. for Henry. Uh, and, uh, but when you compare those two, I mean, I mean, Jefferson's papers are just vast, mm-hmm. part, partly because he served in more political offices than, than Henry did, obviously, mm-hmm. including the presidency. Um, but, uh, it, you know, Henry really, I mean, uh, in terms of letters, there's only about maybe 200, 250 extant letters from mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Henry, where with Jefferson, I'm sure it runs uh, certainly into the tens of thousands, um, and and so there, there's not a ton to leave out. But but I think the thing that that I wanted to look at that is I think a little understood about Henry is is his uh, opposition to the Constitution, and I think that that that's one of the reasons why Henry is probably not among the the absolute top tier of best known founding fathers is because he was probably the most important and influential uh, opponent of the constitution. Hmm. And so I I think a lot of readers might think, well, what's, what went wrong with Patrick Henry? Why did he oppose the constitution? Um, You know, it's great Patriot leader, but then he's opposed to the constitution. And I I actually think that it's, it's quite consistent that he Hmm. um, is always first and foremost concerned about American Liberty. Right. And he sees a very clear trade-off between government power and and human liberty, um, and so he was very concerned when Madison uh, framed this new government that was more had more centralized government power than uh, the Articles of Confederation government did, which was our first national constitution. And so, um, I, th- I think he saw the Constitution as a betrayal of the American Revolution. Uh, where Madison certainly saw it as a fulfillment mm-hmm. of, of the American Revolution. So that's, I, I just, I find that fascinating. And it's it's a, a reason why, uh, even though we remember liberty or death, we the rest of his career seems like sort of vague to Americans. And mm-hmm. I think his anti-federalism is why. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, give me liberty, all the rest needs to be a footnote, I guess. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> I, I remember street. reading that um, he was offered a number of positions, including the Supreme Court, um, Attorney General, and uh, Secretary of State, and yet turned them all down. Um, 
makes me wonder how many politicians today, if offered similar positions, would uh, <laughs> uh, turn them down. I wonder if oh, that sure. speaks anything to his character. Uh, yeah, I think it does. And, and I mean, there was even talk about him um, running for president mm-hmm. in 1796 um, as Washington's successor. Wow. Um, and, uh, and and I think partly, you know, by that point, Henry's health is not the yeah. best. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, but I, I, Henry um, in Virginia could have been governor for as long as he wanted. I mean, as, as long as, as Washington was away and doing other things, um, Henry was clearly the, the other most popular politician, far more popular in Virginia, say, than Madison or Jefferson. Right. Uh, this is one of the reasons why Jefferson didn't like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and Henry was seemed to me to be constantly trying to retire from being governor. Yeah. Um, and and turned down, as you said, a, a host of, mm-hmm. of national uh, positions in various branches, diplomatic positions, yeah. um, everything. Uh, and and I, I think one of the reasons I like Patrick Henry, in spite of his his flaws, um, is that he was a, a, a genuine small R Republican mm-hmm. politician that really preferred to be a private citizen and just at home on his plantation. And, and that's really what he would rather be doing. Um, and that's also a reason I think why he he left so few papers is he just didn't have a sense of his own, uh, political importance. And, and he just saw himself, I think as a, as a kind of public servant and, but that didn't especially need to be in political office. I I think it's a wonderful example. Um, and 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 we would be much better off if we had wow. lots of people like him in, in office today. Well, Dr. Kidd, I want to thank you so much for joining us uh, for this discussion about Patrick Henry and uh, his on the anniversary of his "Give Me Liberty" speech. And thank you, listener, for joining us for this discussion uh, on this week in church history. Remember to go out and purchase Dr. Kidd's volume, Patrick Henry, First Among Patriots, which is available at the Sword and Trial Bookstore here on Midwestern's beautiful campus in Kansas City, Missouri, or in our online bookstore, which you can reach at www.mbts.edu forward slash store. You can find links to Dr. Kidd's books and any other information in the show notes below. Remember to subscribe to the podcast, and we will see you all next week.